morning. How y'all doing today? I want to do a quick, um, quick shout out on um, Rites of Passage. Um, I didn't see Dom Pervance come over here, but he's been the leader and he's doing the curri- curriculum and everything like that. So I just want to shout him out. Just praise God for his, uh, his vision. Praise God for his vision and his, um, his leadership in Rites of Passage. It's always cool. I'm thankful I get to see my young bulls, my young dogs out here doing their thing. Um, so yeah, um, as we can um, start our time, we'll be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. It should be up on the screen. And it says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders making the most of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Let's pray. Father, you are with us. You are present. Your love is present. Father, we gather today knowing that the victory has already been won in Jesus. And we've tasted and seen that you're good. And Father, I pray right now, God, that we would just taste your goodness in your word today. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your gospel, God, so that we may receive the blessings you provided in Christ towards us. God, I pray that you would open us up to see you, to know you, God, to obey you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would leave this place filled with worship that will lead to a public witness that will show other people who we worship and why we worship. Father, be with us. Use me, God. Move me out of the way. I pray that this word that I'm preaching right now will be preached to me as I preach it. So, Father, I pray you be with us and bless us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I may be seated. Frederick Douglass, when he was a slave, He asked this question, why was he enslaved? Why did God allow this to happen? He saw the helplessness that was in his people and the hopelessness that they faced, the brokenness. He asked, why did God allow his people to go through this oppression? And after 20 years of asking and seeking and knocking and praying, Something happened. Something happened that changed his mission. Something happened that changed his vision of prayer. And he says this. He says that I prayed for 20 years and received no answer until I prayed with my legs. He understood that there was a relationship between what God, what he asked God to do, and also how he walked in the world. He learned that we must act on what we pray for. It was through prayer and mission that he was 
able to help free his people and free them from their slavery. He saw God's grace in prayer, but he also saw his part in the world. This teaches us something very, very important about prayer and mission. Prayer is asking God for something, but it's also protect, it's also connected to action. Prayer is not just us asking for something, but it's acting on what God has promised us. Prayer is missional. Prayer is a hopeful resistance of the status quo. It's saying that I'm discontent with what I see in the world and I'm acting out based on what God has shown me. Prayer happens when we see God's victory in the world in Christ. And we desire to see that victory affect everything else that we see. Yes, prayer is the gracious Father calling us to spend time with him, to know him, to be with him. This is what God has called us to in prayer, but prayer is not only that. Prayer is also a commander of an army calling his people to join him in a war against the real enemy, knowing that that victory has already been won. God has already overcome evil. We've seen that through the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus. How do I know that there's victory in the world? Because there's a church in the world. There's a church that knows and tasted of this victory. And now our desire is to see that victory actualized in the present. The church is a present picture of God's victory in the world. And here we find our main point today. How does this prayer in asking and action, how does that shape the way we view prayer? Our main point for today is this, that in God's world, we are called to pursue what we pray for. In God's world, we are called to pursue exactly what we pray for. God has given his church a plan. And now our plan is God's plan. And in light of that, we pray because that God has already established his plan in the world. Here we see in Colossians, this book answers the question, is Jesus enough for his church? In the life burial, in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, did he actually accomplish what he said he would accomplish? And now Paul's goal in Colossians, in this letter, he shows the people that Jesus is enough for their salvation. They don't need anything else or anybody else but Jesus to save them. And not only, not only that, that Jesus is enough for their salvation and their spiritual maturity. The people are asking this question. There's still evil in this world. Why is there still evil present in the world? And there's false teachers going around claiming that you need Jesus, but you need something else. Jesus plus this will give you the spiritual understanding that you need. But Paul argues that this exclusive knowledge comes from prideful hearts because they do not know the essence and the power of the gospel that God in his fullness has come to us. And not only has he come to us, but he's filled us with himself. And now we see the call to pray. Paul calls them to a life united with God in Christ. And here is where we see that unity. We find that in prayer. First, we're going to talk about prayer and mission. What does it mean to be on mission and be connected to God in prayer? First, we'll see how we are to pray. How we are how we ought to pray. Colossians 4 verses 
Verse 2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. If you read the whole book of Colossians, you'll see that Paul begins this letter praying, and then he also calls the church to pray in his closing. Paul's instruction to pray is more than just telling them what a Christian should do, but it's also inviting them into holding on to the gift that they have in prayer. It starts off by this devoted in prayer. Being devoted in prayer is the call of discipleship, is following Jesus, is being consistent in prayer. This passage suggests that prayer is not just something that comes naturally, but it's a committed effort to continue in prayer, to keep on praying, to continue to be persistent in our prayers. Church Paul is showing us that prayer takes work. This involves not only the mind, but the heart, the mind, and the emotions devoted to prayer, being alert in it with thanksgiving. Kingdom prayer requires our whole selves. Prayer is not just us asking God once for something and waiting for him to answer, but prayer is asking God to move and expecting God to move and then finding joy in the fact that we can actually pray knowing that God hears us. Listen, many times we feel like God doesn't hear our prayers. We feel like there's something between us and God when it comes to prayer. But listen, many times our prayers are hindered, not because God is not present, but we're absent when we pray. One translation, as it says, be alert in prayer, stay alert. One translation says that we should be watchful in prayer. It's an expect, expectation that God is going to work. It's not us praying and then forget what we pray for, but keeping those things in our minds so that we know when God answers those things. Have you ever ordered an Amazon package before? You go on Amazon and you see exactly what you want and you place your order and you put the shipping information in and you put your car information in and then you place your order and now you're waiting. You expect it. And if that package don't come on time, you got a tracking number that you can check so you can call those people to see, where is my package? I'll put my money in, where is this package? And then it finally comes. And now you're excited. And you celebrate because you can actually use what you've ordered. Prayer is like that, but it's so much better. We have a father in heaven who says, ask. And you will receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Christian in this room, in Christ, we can freely place our order without any money because we already have access to God. We already know. He already knows where we are, so we don't need the shipping information. He already knows what we need, so we don't even have to worry about those things. God freely provides everything we need when we call on him. All we do is place our order, and we know that that answer is coming. The package is on the way. But here's the difference between prayer and that Amazon package that we seek. We don't always have access to the tracking information and the package, and we don't know how we will receive that package. We don't know when it will come, we don't know how it will come, but we know that it's coming. The joy of the Christian life is not receiving the gifts, but knowing that God is the gift and we have him so we can call on him. 
There's nothing between us and God. We've been given everything in God himself. So we can devote ourselves to prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. We pray because we know who God is. Not only because we know God can give us something. Prayer is not only saying it is this. Prayer is not only saying, God, give me what I need, but it's also God's way of allowing us to say, God, we need you in this moment. God's grace through prayer doesn't only supply our needs, but it changes our needs so that we are aligned with his desires for us. Missional prayer is is disciplined, it's devoted, it's expectant, and it's also thankful. Devote ourselves to prayer, be alert in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving flows from the gift of prayer, not only what prayer provides for us. First, we see how we are to pray, our posture in prayer. What does a disciple pray for? What does it look like when he prays? And then we go to verses 3 and 4. In God's mission, with God's, the victory that God has provided for us, how must we pray in God's world? What should we pray for? Verses 3 and 4 say this, at the same time, Paul is speaking, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Pay attention to what Paul is saying here. He instructs the church on how to pray, and then he shows them what they should pray for. But first we see that he's asking God to open a door. Christian, when it comes to prayer and mission, We must be reminded that we do not create mission or we do not develop mission, but we join God in his mission for the world. The mission of God bringing all things back to himself. We're not working on empty, but we have to remind ourselves of who's really doing the heavy lifting in this mission. Think about it like this. When you get in a car, you, yeah, you crank it up and then you push and press the gas, but you're not causing that engine to work. You didn't create that car. You're just pressing the gas, but God in his mercy, he's the one who's engineered and created this place for us to do ministry. He's doing the heavy lifting. All we are doing is pressing into what he's already provided for us. Now listen, we see that God is the one who's on mission, but what's powerful also in this text is not only what Paul asked them to do in prayer, but where Paul is when he prays. He's praying while he's in prison. He's praying while he's in bondage. And though he's in prison, he still sees evangelism, sharing his faith as an essential part of his ministry, not just an option. In his hard place, he's still seeking to establish and advance God's kingdom in this world. We see his location, but we also see why he's in that location. Paul hasn't killed anybody. Paul hasn't robbed anybody. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't lied. He hasn't broken any law. He's in prison because he's preaching the message that saved him. There's an outward concern because of an inward confidence. Now watch this. He's asking for an opening But in our human eyes, we don't 
see that he's asking for an opening that we would suspect. He's in prison, suffering, alone. But Paul does not ask that God will open the doors of the prison, but he asks that God will open the doors for the gospel to be preached. Now remember, Paul has been in this situation before. If you read Acts 16 in Philippi, he goes forward and they're proclaiming the power of Jesus. And then owners, they see this and now they're angry and then they throw him in prison and they beat him and now he's sitting in prison praying. He's sitting in prison singing hymns to God and now the other prisoners are listening to what he's doing and out of nowhere, an earthquake happens and then the, the, the doors are open. They could freely walk off if, if, they, if they wanted to, but he stays. And the Philippian jailer, he comes and now because of this miraculous act, this jailer comes to faith in Jesus. Paul has seen God's hand open up prison doors. He's seen this happen, but listen, in Colossians we see that his present situation doesn't exempt him from being a witness. Listen, church, we talk a lot about God give me my breakthrough. We talk a lot about breakthroughs in our churches. God, I'm in debt. I need a breakthrough. God, I'm in this terrible relationship. I need a breakthrough. I hate this person on my job. I need a breakthrough. But oftentimes when we talk about a breakthrough, it's always connected to our personal needs. But Paul, in this situation, his breakthrough is not getting out of his circumstances, but that the power of God will be seen in his circumstance. This begs the question for us today. What are we asking God to deliver us from that he's actually calling us to minister in? What are we asking God to get us out of, but even in that situation, God is looking for an opportunity to proclaim his power and his glory in us? The mystery of Christ. If you read the whole book of Colossians, you'll see chapter 1, verses 27. This is the mystery. This is not something hidden, but this is what it says in um, verse 27 in chapter 1. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's this inner hope, it's this inner power that's been received as we've been united with Jesus by faith. That God in his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ, and now God in Christ is filling us with himself. This is the mystery of the gospel. He's in prison because of the gospel. The message that saved him has also imprisoned him. Paul sees his imprisonment not as a barrier in his ministry, but the place where God is calling him to minister to. This is the place that God has given him to glorify himself in this particular situation. His eyes are fixed on Jesus and his heart is compelled by the gospel. Because of this mystery, in the world that God has provided for us. The cross applies a new meaning to our pain and our suffering. And it also shapes the direction of our prayers. Paul's prayer, while he's in chains, reminds us of our crucified Savior. Paul is praying while he's in chains, and what do we see Jesus doing on the cross? What is Jesus doing on the cross, and how does that inform the way we think about our troubles? 
here on the cross, we see a life oriented around God's plan and God's mission. Jesus, a suffering servant, the one who bore our shame and sins on the cross, publicly humiliated by those he came to save, rejected by his family and his, his closest friends, considered a failure in man's eyes, faithfully enduring suffering as God's servant, he endures the full wrath of a holy God. What is he doing on the cross? Dying a sinner's death and being ridiculed by the people he created. What is Jesus doing on the cross? In his place of pain, in his place of suffering, he's praying. Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, forgive those who have rejected and ridiculed me, forgive those who have placed me on this cross, for they know not what they do. His location did not determine the content of his prayers. He's praying. He's asking that those around him will receive the forgiveness that his suffering has provided. And God answered that prayer. How do I know? Because there's fruit in this room that God has answered that prayer. That, that, that suffering, that sacrifice was enough for us to be made right with Jesus. His prayer in the midst of suffering was answered by God giving us forgiveness of sin. An outward concern for the loss and an inward confidence in God and what God was doing in his world. Christ with his eyes set on God, devoted in prayer, watchful in it, being thankful, being watchful and thankful. He prays for the forgiveness of the outside and what has that accomplished? He now, raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest who forever intercedes for those who come to God through him. Listen, the power of the gospel is not seen when we don't go through circumstances, but the power of the gospel is seen that in those circumstances, they don't control us. While Paul is in prison, he could be praying for anything. I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to pray to get out of certain things, but I'm saying that our focus has to be on the love of God in the midst of those things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the love of God, the love of Christ compelled him, even in the midst of his broken circumstances, in his hard circumstances, in his trouble, in his pain, his aim is not only to get out of trouble, but that God will be revealed in him in his trouble. We must ask the question, not God, why are you doing this, but what are you doing and how can I glorify you in it? Paul is in chains, but the beauty of the gospel is he's not bound to anything. Jesus is on the cross suffering, but he's not bound to anything or anyone. God gives us opportunity to preach the gospel even in the midst of obstacles. Paul asked them to pray that God would give him opportunity to speak of the mystery of Christ for which he was in chains. Because he knew that the word of God can never be contained. Listen, family, there is real opposition in this world. But we have the gift of the gospel. God in us. Where we can be more than conquerors through Christ who's loved us. Yes, we see these things. And we recognize when we're in danger. But in the midst of those things, we can preach that God is present in our trouble. That God is strong in our weakness. Yes, we pray that God would deliver us from difficulty. But first, we have to gauge and understand 
how God is working in the midst of it. This is important for us as we reflect on what the gospel is. Why is Paul preaching a message of hope, but he's enslaved because of it? We can easily forget because of our context that the gospel in itself is offensive. We must reflect on the nature of the message that has saved us. We often reflect on the immediate, the immediate benefits of the gospel, but we miss the consequences of preaching it. Disruptive. It changes systems. It changes lives. And in a hostile world bent on disobeying God, it'll always be opposed. But these obstacles only give us an opportunity to see God in a new, deep way. We see God's light better when present, when, when darkness may be present. In the midst of suffering and pain, we better understand that God comforts us in all of our affliction. We must pray to that end. God, not my will, but your will be done. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the midst of whatever we may find ourselves in, we must continue to pursue what we pray for. This is a gift to the world that we are called to announce this redemptive work of God. And yes, there may be hostility because of this gospel. We see Paul in prison because of it. But in the midst of that hostility, there's a world that's looking for hope. And we are people that have a hope that transcends power, money, prestige. We have the hope of glory, the mystery of Christ that God has sought to dwell in us and among us through Jesus. And he lives in us. Listen, God created everything in this world good. And now in his grace, he's recreating everything good again. And we are the first fruits of this divine goodness that we have the opportunity to reflect in the world. Mission starts with corporate prayer, devoting ourselves to pray, how we should pray, what we should pray, and now we see why we should pray. Mission starts with corporate prayer, and then it leads to a public witness. Yes, the gospel message is offensive to a sinful world, but its messengers should never be offensive. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, it says this, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. We see the grace of God in our public witness. One theologian said it like this when it comes to mission. Words without deeds lack authority, and deeds without words lack meaning. Paul helps us see that prayer and mission is expressed in our public witness. One commentator said it like this. This is a plea for believers to live integrated, wholesome Christian lives that do not detect, do not detract from our message. When we talk about proclaiming the mystery of Christ, God in Christ in us, we have to pay attention to the whole person. 
our gospel conversations are strengthened by Christ-like character. Now listen, this does not mean that if you try to do good to others, that people will like you. This doesn't mean that everyone will like you. There will be people who hate you. They hated Jesus. But listen, it's okay to be disliked, but it's not okay to be disliked for the wrong reasons. People may never read the Bible, but they're always reading you. This is not a call to perfection. The gospel, yes, gives us freedom to struggle. It's not a call to perfection, but it it is a call to faithfulness to the truth as witnesses to the gospel. Paul points to walking wisely in this world among those who are outside. The Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, walking wisely, how do we do that? Walking wisely shows the world who we worship. Wisdom is not only instruction about right or wrong, but it's about intimacy and relationship with the one that we worship. It helps us see the distinctions between the idols in this world and the living God that we serve. Walking wisely among outsiders and speaking with grace, seasoned with salt, will help the world see and know and hear of the one that we worship. Church father, a few church fathers said it like this in the first century where they were continually persecuted for their faith. Being martyred and, and killed for their faith, they say it like this, that we will worship God only, but we will gladly serve you. This is the posture that we must take when we think about God's, as God's witnesses in the world. Now watch this, watch how God, how Paul describes those who do not know the mystery of Christ. He describes them as outsiders. Those who don't have access to something. I remember the first time I waited in line to get some Jordans. First time, last time, I'll never do that again. I woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, got in line. It was in December. It was like 30 degrees outside, and my dumb self is outside waiting on some shoes. I ain't saying that anybody else is like dumb to do that, but I'm just saying like for me, I couldn't. I would never do that again. And so I sat outside for hours and hours. 9 o'clock, the, the store finally opens, all excited. And I thought that just because we were in line, Everybody would get their shoes. That wasn't the case. So they were only doing a, they were doing something like 100, first 150 people. If you have a ticket, you get shoes. So everybody's looking around. I don't know. I'm not counting everybody, but I'm hoping that I'm one of the 150. I waited outside for six hours. Like I said, it's crazy. So, but I get the ticket. And I'm praising God. I got my ticket. I finally got these shoes that I've been waiting on. I get my ticket, and I'm excited. And I'm already putting together what outfits I'm going to put together with my, with my new shoes. But I noticed one thing as I was leaving the, 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 um, the store. I saw all those brothers who were frustrated because they didn't get a ticket. They were cussing and screaming and frustrated because they didn't have that ticket. They weren't going to be able to get the shoes that they waited in line for. Now, at that time, I really didn't care. I was just trying to get in my car. Uh, 
I didn't want nobody to steal my shoes. I waited in line. There was a group of them, so I didn't know what was going to happen. But as I reflected on that, I didn't have any remorse because I had my ticket. Now, on a serious tip, I think oftentimes that describes our attitude towards the outsider. How often do we see the outsider, the one without the hope of the gospel, the one on the outside who will perish without it? How do we see them? Walking wisely among the outsider is also empathizing with the condition of the outsider. Church, Christian, disciple of Jesus, we are on the inside, but we didn't pay to get inside. This is not the VIP room where we paid to get in and we have our party by ourselves and we just look at the watching world as if we don't care about them. But no, God has called us in. We didn't come in. He called us into this party and now he's calling us to go out to celebrate and call others into it. This is our call. God is inviting us to join in his mission in making the outsider insiders, to partake in the goodness and the grace and the glory of the gospel, God in us, the mystery of Christ. Our prayers must be bent, be shaped by this new reality that God's victory has come into the world, that the things we see in this world that are affected by evil, sin, and death, there's a new reality. And now we can call those in. Making, the passage says, making the most out of the time. One trans translation says that we are to redeem the time. Think about those moments where you're super late for work. You wake up and the alarm didn't go off and now you're rushing and you're trying to eat real quick and you're trying to put your clothes on and make sure you brush your teeth before you leave and now you hop in the car and you're trying to speed through traffic so you can make sure you get to work on time. There's a sense of obligation, a fear that comes about when we think about that. But for us as disciples of Jesus, we see this a little differently. We wake up knowing that there's opportunity. There is a sense of urgency, but it's a prayerful urgency, knowing that God has already gone before us. There's a new day to be had, and there's people to talk to and know and serve and care for, and God has given us everything we need to be witnesses. We have to remind ourselves of our core identity. We've heard of something. We've seen something. We've tasted of something. The gospel is not only heard, but it's expressed. What do we see? Jesus, he comes, but in John 1, we see that he dwells among the people. His ministry is incarnational. It can be seen on a daily basis. Walking wisely among outsiders in our speech, being gracious, seasoned with salt, our minds must be bent on the kingdom of God. Redeeming the time means knowing that the times are evil. But even in the midst of that, the Lord is near. And it teaches us that we must be sober-minded in the way we live our lives. 
and the words that we say. There's wisdom in knowing that our lives are brief, that we're living on borrowed time. And it's not to say that we should be afraid each and every day, but we must see it as an opportunity to glorify Jesus. We can look at the life of Jesus. We talk a lot about his miracles. Born of a virgin, we see him saying one word and then the winds and the waves just stop. He's healing the leper and the blind and the lame and raising people from the dead. But one aspect of the life of Christ that we often don't talk about. Jesus did everything he said he would do. His conversation matched, was consistent with his character. He was the only man who perfectly practiced what he preached. His love was expressed and explained. Truth was convicting and compassionate. This is the power of God in Christ that we see his perfect faithfulness. To proclaim that he was somebody and he was actually that somebody. There's a power in consistency. He told his disciples three times that he would be handed over and he would suffer, but he would be raised from the dead. And they doubted. They didn't believe it because they didn't see it. But even in the midst of that, he suffered unto death and was raised, and then they saw him. Like I said, like I've said before, this gospel is, yes, heard, but it's also expressed. It's also seen. Christopher Brooks, in his book, Urban Apologetics, he says this, when there are inconsistencies between our beliefs and our behavior, we leave the door wide open for skepticism to arise in the hearts of those who look to us as models of faith. A decision to reject Christianity must be from honest, accurate information about the Christian, the Christian faith. Our character must not be a barrier for the gospel, but it must be an expression and evidence that the gospel is actually God in us and with us. This is not a, just a call to morality, but it's a call to live in light of what God has done and who God is in us. Paul, in his whole text, he's talking about praying, talking to God. And here he's talking about talking to those on the outside. Now watch this. Paul addresses not what they should say, but how they should say it. The love of God is seen in how we speak and what we say. This is an encouragement for believers in this room who may have family members and friends in your Life, and you don't know all the ins and outs of your faith. You don't know exactly how to explain in totality the resurrection, the miracles, all these different things. You may not know all the answers, but the gospel in its fullness can still be seen. We must ask ourselves this question. When we think about Christianity, when we think about Christianity in America, Think about Christianity in the way that we've seen it portrayed in our lives, in the lives of others. We must ask ourselves this question. How much of the gospel is about knowing information? But how much of the gospel is about being in relationship? Is it about just our spiritual 
conversations that we have that are connected to how much we know or is it formation that God is changing us and transforming us into the likeness of Christ? What does our discipleship look like? Is it more about knowing Jesus or is it actually being like Jesus? We must ask ourselves the question when we think about mission, when we think about speaking of the mystery of Christ, yes, we are called to do that. But do we start off with what we know or do we start off with who we know? Mission is more about, is more than just knowing about Christianity, but it's also the prayer to know and be more like Jesus. And in this passage, we see that it's both. Paul sees his mission and his call is to preach the gospel so that he can make it known as he should. And then when he talks about character, he says, let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that people may know how, that we may know how we should answer each person. The gospel is seen and it's heard and it leads to effective mission in light of the victory that we received in Jesus. And this is also an encouragement for those who feel like, I'm not a teacher. I don't exactly know how to share my faith. I don't know how to go out on the street and evangelize. I'm afraid to do that. God's mission is so much more than our gifting. But it also includes our giftings. There's no Christian in this room that is exempt from mission, but mission may look totally different than anyone else's. If you serve well, if you're hospitable, if you lead well, if you're diligent, if you work hard, if you know how to gather people together, if you know how to cook, you know how to clean well, Ask God to pray that he would open the door to use that gift to proclaim the gospel. Mission is not just for the pastor, the preacher, but it's for the church to be a collective witness of who God is in the world to display his victory in the world. We must think about mission and prayer. And we first must begin with asking God to help us preach the gospel, but then also walk in gospel love so that that would not contradict our witness. This text, it challenges us to think about the Christian life. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This resurrection has opened up a new way of life for us to engage with God in prayer, devoting ourselves to prayer, being alert in it with thanksgiving, praying that God will open a door for us to speak of the, the, the mystery of Christ. Prayer is our way to talk to God in this way, and it's the way that God prepares us to reflect him in the world. Because Christ lives in us, we can pursue what we pray for. Some real quick things just to consider as I begin to close. We must be watchful in our prayers so that the gospel will be heard. What is God speaking to you right now? As we talk about prayer and advancing God's kingdom forward. Is there somebody who's pressed on your heart that you know doesn't know Jesus? There may be somebody who's an outsider that we've been afraid to talk to. There may be that coworker that ignores you or hates you, but you know you've been called to be a witness. Is it 
that God is calling you to be a missionary. He may be calling you to be a missionary at West End Mall. He may be calling you to be a missionary overseas, doing overseas missions. He may be calling you to be a missionary as a father, as a mother, as a cousin. Be watchful in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer and ask that the Lord will open the door so that his gospel will be heard. Next, be eager to do good to outsiders so that the gospel will be honored. Integrity is attractive. Consistency is attractive. Are we a people who keep our promises? Are we a people who serve not out of obligation but a desire to love others well? Do we open up our homes? Do we care for the poor? The gospel opens up a way for us to be eager and gives us the freedom to do good to outsiders. Not disconnected from the work of the cross. The cross has established righteousness. But now we can be an expression of that righteousness in the way that we love others. This is, this is my hope and my prayer for our church. You see in this text, it's full of application. I don't really have to just pull anything out. You can just see this. It's okay, I must do this. But, yes, it's a call to obedience. But church, this is a call to obedience in light of the opportunity we have to join God in his mission. This call to obedience is an opportunity to know God through prayer and participate in the work of the kingdom that we have the privilege and the freedom to come alongside what God is already doing and be a reflection of the world to come in our present reality. This may sound like a tall task. Some may be here nervous and kind of confused. What do I do? What do I do next? Yes, I see outsiders and I see the brokenness that's in this world and I see the evil in this world, it may be in my home, it may be in my job, what am I to do? What must I think about? When we have questions like that, like that we, almost, we always must look back to Jesus. What is Jesus doing in the world? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is he doing in situations where it would seem like it would be an overwhelming problem that no one can fix? The beautiful thing about the Bible is that it does provide those types of answers. We see the life of Jesus in, Mark, in Matthew 9. He's among a multitude, thousands, thousands of people. And he's healing and he's preaching. And then he felt compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Dejected, distraught, disconnected from the life of God that he provided. And Jesus sees this situation, and he doesn't just tell his disciples, act immediately. Just go out and preach, just like I'm doing. Go ahead, we need to do this work. We need to hurry up and do this work. No, Jesus says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord 
would send out laborers in his fields. The mission of God begins with prayer, devoting ourselves to pray, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would see your gospel as more than just our personal salvation, but we would see the cosmic redemptive work that you've done in the world. I pray, God, that you would help us to see ourselves as ambassadors who are calling others to be reconciled to God, that you've opened up this new way of life for us, and it affects everything. You didn't just die for our sins. Yes, you did that, but you were raised so that we may partake in the newness of life, that we would join you in the restoration of your world, God, that's coming perfectly one day, but God, we can see small parts of it right now. I pray that you would make us bold in sharing, your, sharing our faith. I pray, God, that we would pray, and our prayers would be connected to your plan for our lives, God, that our prayers would be a reflection of your kingdom in this world. Yes, we pray for our personal needs, but our prayers will be shaped by your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Fill us with faith. Keep us closely connected to one another, Lord. I pray that you will remind us that this is a collective work, that all of us may have individual ministries, but I pray that we would bring others into it so that people would see the community of faith, Christian community, Lord. I pray that they would see that. Help us to love you, obey you, God, and help us to entrust ourselves to your gospel, not only in what it is, but what it does. And you would change us and transform us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.